Hi, my name is Steve Birch. The Old Testament reading is found in Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. Be generous, invest in the acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Don't hoard your goods, spread them around. Be a blessing to others. This could be your last night. When the clouds are full of water, it rains. When the wind blows down a tree, it lies where it falls. Don't sit there watching the wind. Do your own work. Don't stare at the clouds. Get on with your life. Just as you'll never understand the mystery of, the, of life forming in the pregnant woman, so you'll never understand the mystery at work in all that God does. Go to work in the morning and stick to it until evening without watching the clock. You never know from moment to moment how your work will turn out in the end. The word of the Lord. Hi, I'm Jossie Birch. The New Testament reading is found in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, Common English Bible. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good, because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then, let's work for the good of all whenever we have an opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Grace. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading, found in Matthew 28 through 16. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the workers and give them their wage, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarian. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarian. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked one hour, and they received the same pay as we did, even though we worked the whole day in the hot sun. But he replied to to one of them, Friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to those who was, to the one who was hired the last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I am generous? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. She remains standing as we pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and open our eyes that we would see Jesus, and open our ears that we would hear the word of the Lord, and open our hearts that we would love and serve the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing in our series on the book of Ecclesiastes. We've called it Finding Joy because it's all about someone reflecting about life under the sun and how difficult it is to find joy. And so one of the phrases the teacher 
this character that's kind of the, ma- the main writer of these, of these sayings, a character that's attributed to Solomon, although it's possible that it was written long after Solomon's life uh, and that it was written sort of in his uh, honor or kind of in, in the same vein of Solomon. And one of the phrases this teacher uses over and over again is this phrase, vanity. The Hebrew is havel. It means emptiness, a breath, a vapor. And so he begins his book by going through all of these things that we enjoy about life and says, yeah, well, this is havel. This too is empty. This is just a breath. And he talks about work, and he talks about wine, and he talks about joy, and he talks about uh, all of the stuff that we have to occupy ourselves with. And he says, yeah, but it's kind of empty. And then he leads us to where true joy is. He points to something beyond this life. Not so we can live our whole lives trying to escape it, but so that we can say, okay, now how do I enjoy these good but finite things? In a couple of weeks when we wrap up the series, or maybe in three weeks when we wrap up the series, we'll talk about his conclusion when all has been heard. Why is it that it takes this faith in God in order to enjoy finite things. But until then, we've been wrestling with this thing of saying, okay, so there are limits. There are limits to life under the sun, but there are gifts to life under the sun. And so we give God thanks for all of his gifts. But today, as we pause near the end of this book, it may be that you're thinking, well, if there are so many limits, if there are limits to what work can accomplish, and if there are limits to what money can, uh, can provide, then, then maybe life itself is limited. And maybe some of you are hearing these sermons and thinking, oh, I need to embrace kind of a small or limited approach to life. I need to live life in a limited way. Should we play it safe? Should we hedge our bets? Should we keep things close to the vest? Should we say, well, you know, you just never know, so let's just... How do, what are we to make of this in terms of how we actually invest ourselves? And so today we're going to talk about the risk of investment. Verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 11 in the English Standard Version, the ESV says this, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now this is kind of a curious saying, and some of the commentators uh, differ on what it might mean. Some, some have said historically, oh, this is about charity. This is about giving your money to the poor. But others have said, actually, in the context of this, it doesn't really make sense to be charity. It must be something different. In fact, it could actually be talking about a business venture. Cast your bread upon the waters could be a metaphor for saying, invest even in overseas trade. In other words, you don't have to keep it all here. You can invest in global funds if you'd like. (laughs) Some of you are brokers, you're laughing. Maybe it is the, the, the ancient version of our saying, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Hey, cast your bread in the waters, it will yield a return. Actually, the Hebrew for that verb there of will yield could actually be softened in a may yield sort of way. That it's not necessarily this thing, hey, do this and it will. It, 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 It very likely, in the way that this sentence is put together, be translated, cast your bread and it may. In fact, some of the other translations soften that verb to say it may, it might, it might yield something. And so it is a bit closer to our modern-day sort of proverb, nothing ventured, nothing gained. But I'd like to suggest this phrase, risk may lead to return. It might. It might. And so so the, the teacher is saying, don't be afraid of risk. Risk could lead to return. 
And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. This is kind of the ancient version of diversify your portfolio. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mutual funds are a great bet. <laughs> sort of. But he's also saying, look, give to seven or, in, or eight. Give a portion of seven or eight because what happens if you keep it? Keeping it all doesn't necessarily mean that no trouble will come. He says, you know not what disaster may happen on earth. The phrase I'd like to suggest is this. Caution is no security against adversity. So risk may lead to reward, and caution is no security against adversity. You could be the person that plays it safe the whole time, and then boom, the most unexpected thing happens, and you're like, ah, why? My whole life I've been careful. We know stories like that. We know stories of people like that. And then the teacher goes on. He says in verse 3, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What's he saying? He's saying there are forces beyond our control. There are forces beyond our control. You can't control the wind. You can't control the rain. You can't control these things. But don't let that stop you from investing. Now think be bigger than finances here. Think about your life and your love and your time and your talents. Think about all of those things. The teacher is saying, look, there are forces beyond your control, no doubt. You can't predict. But if you want, if you want to, you could spend your whole life staring at the clouds and saying, yeah, it's going to rain now, 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 now. But what good is that going to do? It's too late to plant when the rain comes. It's too late to sow when it's already raining. You're supposed to do that work before it rains. And that's what the teacher is saying. Look, don't spend your whole life fixated on what might happen or what could happen. And, and is this the end times? And is this going to mean, mean this or that? Is the economy going to... And you're trying to spend your whole time forecasting and predicting that you never actually live. That you never actually act. He says, don't do that. And then he goes on in verse 5 and he says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb. What a beautiful phrase. Something about how life is formed. And he says, we know there's something kind of bones and, and physical and there's a materiality to, to, to pregnancy. But, but hey, there's something spiritual and mysterious and you don't know. So you don't know the work of God who makes everything. The beautiful thing about this word picture is he's saying God works in mysterious ways. God works in hidden ways. Do you know all the stuff that's going on? When does the spirit join with the, the bones of a child in the womb? And we, don't, we can't parse some of these things out. So just as there are forces beyond our control, there are mysteries we cannot know. There are mysteries we cannot know. If we were to put it all together, it would sound like this. Risk may lead to reward. Caution is no security against adversity. There are forces beyond our control, and there are mysteries we cannot know. One of those mysteries is what the teacher is hinting at. You're not the only one invested in this. Isn't that good to know? 
When you think about the work you're trying to do with your friendships or with your workplace or with your neighbors or whatever it is, whatever the work is you're trying, isn't it good to know I'm not the only one invested in this working? I'm not the only one putting my effort into this. God is working too, and his work is far greater than anything I can do. I think that's a source of great encouragement that the teacher in Ecclesiastes has just given us. Look, there are situations where I'm just so frustrated, I can't change this person, I can't change this, I can't. And to say, look, I know, there are, but there are, there's something happening beneath the surface that you can't see and you can't really know, but it's going on. So then the question is, so what do we do? What do we do? If investment is a risk, if all investment of our life and of our love and of our time, if all investment is a risk, and if even non-investment is a risk, what do we do? I think of Ben Stiller's character in the movie Along Came Polly. You remember this movie where he's like a risk assessment guy, isn't he? And he's always kind of assessing the risk of every situation. Should I go skydiving? Ooh, absolutely not. Should I do, you know? And it turns out every choice in life has a certain risk factor, and he's trying to, you know, and he's just calculating everything. His whole life is about minimizing his exposure to risk. Now, I'm not, I'll be the last person to advocate recklessness. If you know me, uh, you know I play it pretty safe. But it's one thing to not be a daredevil about outdoor sports. It's another thing to play it safe with our love and with our life. Solomon is telling us that you only have one life. And you don't know how long it lasts. So how will you spend it? Will you spend it trying to say, well, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to. I just want to. Or, or will you spend it? Like actually spend it. Verse 6, in the morning, this is his conclusion in this section, in the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. What a great picture. How many times do we live like this, withholding our hand, like we have T-Rex arms, you know, this is kind of short, just, oh, do you have the bill? I'll get it. Oh, you, you got it? Okay. No, that kind of, sorry. So your arms seemed to work just fine when you were reaching for more dessert. But we live with these, we withhold our hand like, ah, uh, should I, should I encourage them? Should I take the, should I? And Solomon says, sow your seed in the morning and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper, this or that. You don't really know. And whether both alike will be good. So his conclusion is basically use what you have. Use what you have. What do you do? Use what you have. I think of that great story in the Old Testament, you know, where Moses is before the burning bush, and God says, I, I've heard the cries of my people, and I'm sending you. And Moses is like, me, right? And God's like, what is that in your hand? Like a shepherd's stick? I mean, it's a rod? Right, right. Throw it down. He throws it down, and you know, all these signs happen. What's God saying to Moses? What's God saying to us? And sometimes what you have in your hand is actually more than what you think it is. If you'll let go. If you'll let go of it. A lot of times why we hold on is we, we, we sort of think, well, this isn't, I can't, I mean, 
Look at all the trouble in the world. Look at all that's happening in, in Africa. And look at all that's happening. I just, I, I can't do anything about that. I'm just going to, oh God, I just pray that we're safe and then we die, you know. And say, what, what do you have in your hand? Well, I got a little bit of time this summer. Right, so what could you do with that? I suppose I could spend a week serving at Royal Family Kids Camp. <laughs> It's just a week. I mean, it's not, it's not much time. But what is in your hand? Can you use it? Do you know one of the plagues of our day is that we're constantly afraid of missing out and of something better coming along. And so we never give ourselves in the moment. So, well, I, I, I don't... I, what am I doing this summer? I, I mean, I don't want to commit to a week at Royal Family Kids Camp because, I mean, what if, like, all of a sudden, you, you know, something opens up and I'm going to need that week? Right, but you, you don't know that, but you do have this week right now. But I don't, I don't know if I want to spend my time like that. Or what about you? Say, well, do you have an, an hour in your week to do Kids Hope mentoring? Well, I mean, I could, but what if I need that hour for something else? Like what? I don't know, like if Jay-Z called and asked me to be like his backstage manager. <laughs> that, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I, just, I just, hang on to this real, I just, real, real quick, just, you know. The second thing the teacher says is not just use what you have, but do what you can. Do what you can. I love how Paul says it to the Galatians. He says, let's not get tired of doing good because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So what's he talking about? He spells it out. So then let's work for the good of all whenever we have an opportunity and especially for those in the household of faith. This is Paul saying, look, are there opportunities around you right now that you can do. You're like, well, I mean, I, mean, I can't really lead a meal group because you know, my travel schedule is just things are chaotic. Like, right, right. Do you think you could like, go out to lunch with someone after church and just sort of be in a... I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean may, maybe, but I, I, I don't have a lot of opportunity for that. Do you eat? <laughs> well, I suppose I do. <laughs> Use what opportunities you have. I think one of the things that, that we sort of become a prisoner to is the trap of putting life on hold. Well, you know, once I get to this situation, once I have my own this, once I have my own that, once I get all of this dealt with, then I can. But is there an opportunity now? What are you doing with the now? What are you doing with the opportunity now, don't put life on hold until conditions are ideal. Don't put life on hold until the conditions are ideal. Find a way to live it out now. I'm very thankful to have a great dad. I'm very thankful to have a dad who, uh, at, at every opportunity, is, is generous and giving. In fact, it's funny, Dad, a few years ago, one of my friends, Greg, came with me to Malaysia. This is probably five years ago now, and this is when my parents were still there. 
And he noticed something that, you know, you don't always notice things about your own family because you're right there with him. But he's like, Glenn, he's like, do you realize that anything you said, your dad was ready to, like, give to you? Like, you said, oh, dad, cool watch. And he said, do do you want it? (laughs) You know, or he said, oh, man, I like that shirt. Oh, do you want it? I mean, it was like everything, any opportunity to do something for someone else, you you do it. And um, I think... About six years ago, maybe a little longer, about six years ago or so, maybe six and a half, I was sitting in Pastor Brady's office. Pastor Brady's the pastor, senior pastor of New Life Church. New Life Downtown's one of the congregations of New Life Church. And he was talking to me about um, the sense of call on my own life to, to be a pastor, to transition more fully from leading worship to preaching and teaching. And what he could have said is, you know, Glenn, you've never preached weekly in your life. Like, you probably aren't ready for this. He could have said that. Instead, what he politely said was, I'm thinking about starting up a Sunday evening service again. Would you like to take the lead on that? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, that sounds interesting. And then he said, but I would like the sermons to be a video of my sermon from the morning. Now, me in my uh, ever high estimation of myself said, well, I, I don't know about video. I mean, I, I, I want to preach, you know. And he said, sure, but, but would you consider just trying the video thing? And if, it, if you're not comfortable with it, maybe you could switch to, to preaching live. And I was sort of like, ah, I don't know. This is not what I want. Like, this is not the ideal condition. This is not the ideal scenario. And I talked to my, my dad on the phone. He says, well, are you going to go plant a church this year? I was like, no, probably in a couple years. So you're going to stay on, on staff at New Life for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah then why don't you be the kind of team member that you'd like to have one day? Hmm. What? What do you mean? (laughs) And so I said yes. How many times are you withholding your yes because the conditions aren't ideal? How many times are you withholding your yes Because, yeah, that's not exactly what I'm looking for. Get over it, man. Like, do it now. Take a step now. Go now. Why? Well, it's just... The same might apply for saying yes to a date, by the way, but that's another sermon. In the evening, do not withhold. Sometimes our reason for withholding is we're really just spent. We feel like we've got nothing left. And I totally get that. I think this, this phrasing, the way Solomon phrases this, you know, go to work, sow your seed in the morning, and at the evening, don't withhold your hand. And, and I think of it with a little bit of, no, with quite a bit of conviction as a dad. Because how many times do I go to work and work hard and I come back home and I sort of want to withhold a bit from my kids because it's like, I'm tired. Somebody take care of me, right? Big baby. <laughs> and to say, wait, no, these are, these are your investment too. In fact, they're your greatest investment. They're the legacy that's probably going to outlive anything else you do. So to all the dads in the room, 
In the evening, do not withhold your heart. Do not withhold your hand. Now, listen, I, I, I fail at this. I can't tell you the evenings that I come home and I count down the hours to bedtime. Don't tell my daughters. It's like, oh, is it bedtime yet? It's like, I just, oh, you know. All of us have places where we've failed at this. But there's only one way that this can be a reality in us. For you, whether you had parents that were generous and open-handed or not, we have a God who is. We have a God who does not withhold. I love the way Paul says it in Romans. He says, the God who did not spare even his own son, how much more will he give to you? What more? John says, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, not portioned to us. Not sort of mm, stipend to us. You use a little bit of grace. Lavished on us. You know what I love about our gospel reading this morning? Is these workers were expecting God to be calculative, and instead they find the master to be generous. And can I say to you that sometimes the generous, generosity of God actually offends us? Because we think grace works like work. That grace works like karma. Well, if I did this, then God, you better do this. And God's saying, you know what? I'm just going to be gracious to everybody, even the ones who showed up at the 11th hour. And the question is, do you want God to be equitable in the sense of calculative? Or do you want God to be generous? I'll tell you, I want God to be generous. I depend on the generosity of God. I'm hoping he's not as calculative as I am. I'm hoping grace is far better than karma. And that's what the gospel tells us. The father who lavished his love, who sent the son, the son who opened up his hands on the cross and said, Into your hands I commit my spirit. The spirit who comes and dwells in our hearts guides us into all truth. I don't think living life, moving from this kind of posture in life to this kind of posture, I don't think it happens by willing yourself into it. I don't think it happens by saying, okay, 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 I will not withhold my hand. keep it open I think something else happens something wins the generous love of God wins in our heart and we're so overcome by it that we say okay 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 there's a story from the 12th century of a man named Giovanni Giovanni came from a rich family His dad was a rich textile merchant, sent his son on many business trips at a very young age, was grooming him to be an heir to the trade. Giovanni, by the time he was 22, had already fought in a war, been taken prisoner, and been released. Gone through quite a bit, even as a 22-year-old. 
And after his release, he got really sick, kind of deathly ill. And on his sickbed, he began to be gripped by God, perhaps for the first time. And he said, okay, God, I, I will serve you. And in the 12th century, one of the displays of devotion that people used in, in, in this time, in the early medieval period, was to make a pilgrimage to Rome. And so Giovanni takes this pilgrimage to Rome, and while he's at Rome, he, he sees a city, a big city that he's never seen before, the largest city he's ever seen. And, and you know how cities expose us to things we weren't comfortable with, and what Giovanni is confronted with is a leper. And he sees a leper for the first time, and his immediate instinctive reaction is to shrink back, to go, Ooh, to withhold his hand. And then he feels so convicted. Why did I do that? Why, why am I withholding? And Giovanni, profoundly moved by God, reaches out to the leper and kisses his hand. Whoa. And empties his pockets and says, this is all I got. This is what I have. I'm going to use what I have and give it. And then he goes back to his small hometown, and there's a little chapel there called the Chapel of St. Damien. And in this little chapel, he begins to pray, and he sees a vision of Jesus. Or he's looking at a painting, I think, and, and he feels like Jesus is speaking to him. And Jesus says to him, rebuild my church. And so Giovanni's first thought is, yeah, the chapel of St. Damien is a little run down. And so he takes all of his inheritance that he was going to gain from his dad's business, and he donates it to the priest. Of course, dad was not too happy about that. In fact, the town sort of scorned him for that. What a waste. That is reckless use, young fool. He gets kicked out of his house, which is tantamount to being disowned by his father, but he has his own announcement. Out in public, he says to his dad, up to this time, I have called Pietro Bernadon father, but now I desire to serve God. And to say nothing else than our Father which art in heaven. And so at 26 years old, he began to devote himself to religious life, to full service of God. He began to wear only scraps of material. He began living with lepers. And then he began to rebuild the chapel of St. Damien by begging for stones from the town people begged for stones, humiliation, begging for stones, and carrying the stones to the chapel and slowly rebuilding it. Eventually, he got an audience with the Pope and was given a special order or special permission to create a new order. And from this order has sprung hundreds of years of Christians who have gone to the sick and the dying. They've built hospitals. They've brought hope to the, what the world considers the least of these. His baptismal name was Giovanni, but the name you know him by is St. Francis of Assisi. We live in a city where the Franciscans have left their mark. From care for the dying at the what was the TB center, the Franciscan retreat now, the hospitals, a whole movement was launched because one guy decided to not withhold his hand.
was so overtaken by the love of God. I'm not saying that you're all called to live like St. Francis, but we are all called to live like Jesus. And we are all called to not withhold, but to open up our hands. The Franciscans took on a symbol, the Tau, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet looks like a T. And their cross is a different kind of cross. It looks like a capital T. But for Francis and his followers, this was the symbol of saying, open hands is how we're going to live. Open hands. Some have even said it's kind of the choice to live an unguarded life. This convicts me. An unguarded life. I want you to look at that for a moment and to think about how the Spirit of God might be inviting you this morning to say, where where are you holding? What are you clenching? What are you withholding? Where are you trying to overly hedge your bets? And where do you need to invest your one and only life? Minutes, seconds, hours, time, talent, treasure. And the only way we move from this to this is by looking upon the cross. By looking upon the cross over and over again. This morning as you bow your heads and pray, I have a sense that there's probably some of us in the room that maybe you feel a sense of shame, a sense of Shame for saying, well, that's not, nobody would ever say that about me. I'm not, I'm just, I. I think what the Spirit wants to do this morning is not to agree, agree with that and say, yeah, yeah, you're lousy. I think what the Spirit wants to do is to show you Jesus and to say, in all the places you failed, God's grace abounds to you. In all the places you haven't been good enough, generous enough, loving enough, open enough, the, God's grace, the open-handed Jesus, His grace abounds to you. The only way we move from withholding to giving is by gazing upon the Lord Jesus and His open hands on the cross. Amen? Amen.